Thank you for joining in for this City Lights Church podcast. We're a new church in the north of Brisbane, and you can find out more about us at www.citylights.community. We hope that this podcast encourages you in your journey of following Jesus. Awesome. Well, it's so good to speak to you today and continue our series, Upside Down Kingdom. It's an amazing series. And um, I, I had an experience with a, counter, a different countercultural kind of thing. I, When I was 16, I went on my first overseas missions trip to the Philippines. It was awesome. I loved it. I went back a couple more times. But it was so cool being in the Philippines. Um, it was an amazing experience. But there was a lot of culture shock. It's a, it's very different. I, I had been overseas before, but only to New Zealand, which doesn't really count. So it was, you know, it was very, very different. And I loved it, but it was like, okay, here's a new language and there's a new type of people and they're so different. And if, um, if you've ever been overseas, you know, there's a few things that you need to learn before you go over there, right? And so we did some training because, you know, I was 16, young, young teenager, went with a bunch of other teenagers. We needed to learn a few things about what not to do and what to do. So some things that are different, um, is time. Their concept of time is completely different to Australia. They go on what you might know as island time. So Twinkie knows that. Yep. So, you know, the, say you're having an event. It'll start at 12. Like, that's the time, right? But everyone will probably rock up at like 12.30 or 3. Okay. 3 o'clock. I was going to say 2. I was going to be generous. <laughs> 2 o'clock. So their, their um, time is very flexible. They have a very interesting relationship with time. Whereas here, you know, that would be considered rude, right? Rocking up even like five, ten minutes late. You're like, oh, no, nah, don't do that. Not, not okay. And there's, there's, there's also gestures and different things, things that we think are totally fine. But over there, they're actually offensive. And so we had to learn, you know, what not to do over there so we didn't, you know, offend anyone. And obviously we're going there um, with church and doing missions. So we really wanted to make sure that, you know, we weren't doing different things, right? And why do we need to learn those things? Because we were going into a different culture that was not our own and we had to adapt to their way of living, right? We had to change how we were kind of behaving, some things that we said. We had to change so that we could live in this culture and we could reach these people. And When Jesus came to earth, he presented his followers with a new way of living. He came with a message of the kingdom of God. And that message of the kingdom was that the kingdom is dynamic, it's spiritual, it's kind of intangible, but it's different to the culture of the time. Our kingdom culture is very different to our society. The kingdom of God lives within us. And so sometimes it's, you know, it's intangible. But and, and so it's kind of hard to know how we live in this kingdom. For like, okay, cool, the kingdom of God is different, right? But like, what does that mean? How are we meant to live in this different kingdom that's different from our society when, you know, we've grown up in Western Australia, if you have, I did. Um, and 
Western, sorry, Mum. I didn't grow up in Western Australia. Sorry, she's called out my lie. I didn't mean Western Australia. I meant Western society in Australia. <laughs> Thanks, Mum. <laughs> she keeps me honest. Here we go. Yeah, that's why she's here, John. That's great. Uh, so good. So the kingdom of God is different. So how do we live in this kingdom, right? Because it's... It's different and we have to adapt and all right, so we're Christians now. What does that mean for how we live? And, and a big difference between, you know, our society and kingdom culture is how we deal with power and status and authority. Because who knows? We all kind of have power and status, you know, to a certain point, right? And, um, in some ways we consider um, you know, the more power, the more status you get, that's kind of success. Well, that's what success looks like. Like, oh, wow, those people, they're doing amazing. They've got all this stuff or they're, they're, they've got all this power and they're, you know, the CEO of a company or something like that. And so that's what we can think of power and status in this thing. We kind of idolize it. But is that how it happens in the kingdom of God? And so, you know, what do we do when we have... Um, power and status. I know what I would do if I had, okay, so let's say, you know, I was made the CEO of the company. Um, I've got thousands of people working for me, right? So I've got like, oh man, so much power. This is great. I now have a $10 million salary. So some wealth in there. Ooh. Ooh. Man, you know what I would do? First thing probably I would do if I had that much money, I would hire a cleaner and hire a cook. Never have to clean and cook again. Oh, what a life. Love that. Get rid of the jobs that I don't want to do and I'm not very good at. Fantastic. But what would you do if you had like, you know, if you were given something like this, you know, like exponential power, what would you do with that? The truth is we would probably, like me, use it for ourselves, right? We would use it to make things happen for ourselves. We would use it to, you know, boost our ego and and you know, go on a holiday or, you know, make your life better. That's what we would use it for. But in the kingdom of God, it looks a little bit different. And so in a society where our, our power, the more power and status you have, excludes you from menial work, what does that look like in, in the kingdom of God? You know, people rarely choose to do the menial stuff. Like me, if I could have a cook, I would never have to cook again. It would be amazing. And so Jesus actually shows us how to deal with power and status. And, and he is our example. And so we're, we're going to read from John chapter 13. And in this passage, <clears throat> um, it is the Passover. They've just, Jesus is with his disciples in the upper room. They've just had the Passover. And this is right before Jesus goes to the cross. This is right before the Garden of Gethsemane. This is right before Jesus goes to the cross. And so let's have a read about what he does. So we're going to read from verse 2. And supper being ended, that's the Passover, the devil having already put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him. Jesus, knowing that the Father, these are the important parts, here we go. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, and then he had come from God and was going to God. He rose from supper and laid aside his garments, took a towel and girded himself. 
After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel with which he was girded. Did you guys hear that? In verse 3, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, he knew who he was. He knew that the Father had given him power and authority and that he knew that he had come from God and was going to God. So he knew he had status. He knew who he was. He was the son of God. He had come from God and soon would go to God and then would be in glory. And what is the next thing that he does? I don't know about you, but this is not logical. Like, you know, if we think of someone going, cool, I've got power. I've got all this power. Look at me. I'm pastor in a church. Wow. <laughs> what power and status I have. You know, I'm, the, I'm, a, I'm a CEO. Fantastic. What's the next thing that you're going to do? It's not logical for the next thing that he does. He, what does he do? He laid aside his garments. He took a towel and he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet. This is not what we would expect from someone who just had their power and status affirmed, right? This is not what we would expect from the Son of God. And so it's kind of like not a great, it's not a fantastic example, but it's kind of like imagine the Prime Minister, right? Arguably the most powerful man in Australia. Imagine if he was in a room with his team, his, his other politicians, and instead of, you know, starting the meeting and going, guys, here we go, this is who I am, let's do it, he goes around and gets the coffee order. And then he goes and makes the coffee for all the people. Who knows, that's, that would be kind, but it's not his job. It's not what he needs to do. It isn't really logical for him to do it. But this is what Jesus does. He pushes aside his greatness and he lowers himself. He gets on his knees and he does a menial task. And I don't know whether you're familiar with this passage of all, at all, whether you're familiar with, you know, what washing of the people's feet means, because, you know, we don't really have a 21st century, like, equivalent, right? You know, we don't have to get our feet washed when we come in, in the room. Um, not in our Western society anyway, in our Western world. But here's some context for you. So in that culture, in that time, it was customary for everyone's feet to be washed when they came in to a house. Why? Well, because their feet were really dirty. They were really gross because they would be walking around in sandals and they'll be walking around all day and it was the Middle East, so it was hot. And they didn't have paved roads. They didn't have cars. And so they were walking around in dirt. And they were walking around, you know, there would be crowds and all that sort of stuff. And then there also, there's also animals. There's cattle, there's donkeys and all that. So all of that stuff gets on their feet. Gross. <laughs> and then so when they come in, in the house, they don't want all that stuff to come with them. So then they get their feet washed and then they can come in and they're clean. So that's the custom. So feet were, you know, dirty and stuff back then. But who knows, feet are kind of still gross for now, right? Who doesn't like feet? Yeah, yeah, heaps of people don't like feet. I'm like, I'm like, all right, as long as they're not too, like, smelly or whatever. I'm okay with, with feet, as, you know, they stay down there, it's fine. Um, 
But my, my eldest sister, she used to, I don't know how she is now, but she used to hate feet so much. Like, I'm not talking, you know, it touching her, even if it's close. You know, even if they're not, like, I just had a shower. If my feet are close to her, she hated it. I can't tell you how many times we'd be, you know, just chilling at home. We're sitting on the couch. We're watching a movie. We're relaxing. So my feet are up on the couch, you know, and she's next to me. And I just like, you know, adjust myself and like move like, an, like a centimeter closer to her. And it's like she has the sixth sense, right? She just knows that feet are close to her. And so Im- immediately she's like, get your feet away from me. And she puts a pillow in between us, you know, as a force field around her to, you know, keep me away from her, to keep my feet away from her. Because feet are still gross. But if this... If this can illustrate a little bit of like what it maybe would be like for now. Imagine if you were walking around, you know, you're walking around, it's the heat of summer. It's like, you know, 80% humidity and you're walking around the entire day with no shoes on. And instead of walking on the path, you're walking in the grass and the mud and just like getting it all on your feet. And then you're like, oh, cool. There's a stagnant puddle. I'm going to go step in that puddle. It's brown. There's leaves in it. It's it's smelly, but you're going to step in that puddle. And then you're walking along and then you see, oh, look, there's some dog poo on the side of the road. Going to go step in that too and it gets all in your toes. Yeah. All in your toes. And that's how, and then you walk in the house and that's how gross like our feet would be (laughs) as a comparison to to how dirty their feet would have been back then. And Jesus still washes their feet. He still gets down and he washes their feet. And I would argue that this is, besides the crucifixion, one of the most radical and countercultural things that Jesus does. Because who is he? He's the Son of God. And he's going to wash his creation's feet. His dirty feet as well. So that's what Jesus did. And what do we do with this now? Well, if uh, the passage continues in John, uh, in, in verse 12 to 17, let me read this to you. So when he had washed their feet, taken his garments and sat down again, he said to them, do you know what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and so you say, well, for so am I. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, You also ought to wash one another's feet, for I have given you an example that you should do as I have done to you. Most assuredly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is he who is sent greater than he who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. For I have given you an example that you should do as I have done. What is Jesus saying here? He's saying your life in the kingdom can't look different to this can't look different to what I have just done to you. I don't know about you, but I find this passage personally challenging. I mean, not only do we have, you know, if you put yourself in the disciples' shoes and be in that room with Jesus, I can just like not even imagine Jesus coming and washing my feet, let alone he then goes and and tells us, you know, we have to do the same for other people. And I find that personally challenging because I know so often I, I don't want to do that. <laughs> I don't want to do that because what is washing someone's feet in our, in, our, in our day and age? 
Well, it represents something that's inconvenient. It's unglamorous. It's of no personal gain to yourself. It even may be below your pay grade. And you get no recognition for it. That's hard. (laughs) You don't get a thank you sometimes. That's hard. It's hard to live in this way, in this kingdom culture way, but can I give you two encouragements today that we see in what Jesus has done in this passage and what we can do in our lives as well? So what, how to live in the kingdom culture. Number one, my first encouragement is let love be your driving force. The depth and quality of your love is defined by your selfless humility. Let love be your driving force. In verse 1, we see what was Jesus' driving force. Verse 1, it says, Before the Passover celebration, Jesus knew that his hour had come to leave this world and return to his Father. He had loved his disciples during his ministry on earth, and now he loved them to the very end. And that those words to the very end, they can sometimes be translated to the full extent. Love to the limit. And so he loved his disciples so much. He knew he was going to the cross. He knew what would come, but he loved them so much. Even though he was the son of God, he got down on his knees and he lowered himself and washed their feet. That was his driving force. When you love someone, what does it cause you to do? You know, you might be thinking of, you know, your spouse or your kids or family. What does it drive you to do? Finish this sentence. I love, therefore I. You might give or care for them or support them or something like that. All good, all good, all good things. But what if it was like, I love, therefore I. Maybe for your spouse or your partner, pick up the dog poo in the backyard. You know, maybe it's not your job, but you do it anyway. I love, therefore I would drive three hours to help you or more, depending if you like driving or not. Maybe it's more. I love, therefore I will inconvenience myself to help you. I love, therefore I will give without asking anything in return. I love, therefore, I will sit with you in your darkest hour. Because what we do and how we love people, it really says more about us than the other people, right? It reveals the depth and the quality of our love, the lengths that we're willing to go for people. And in pre- preparing for this, uh, this message, I did a little bit of a road test. I was like, cool, what can I do? That's a little bit inconvenient. I'm not going to get recognition for it. What, what can I do? And so I live, um, I live in a granny flat and my landlord lives on the same property. Um, and I don't know him really, you know, obviously we've had chats, but he's just my landlord. And um, what I decided to was like, oh, cool. Our bin day is on Sundays. What I can do is I can just bring his bins, bins back in when I bring mine in. Cool. Okay, cool. That's something easy not easy. It's inconvenient. Um, It's like, cool, I can do this. It's practical. But it is, 
you know, a little bit hard because, uh, you know, on recycling days, there's four bins that I have to bring in. And, like, to get to our street, it's like you have to, I have to, like, duck under this tree and then, like, go down these steps. And so they have to, like, pull these big bins back in. And, I mean, like, I'm a little person. It's hard. So it's a little bit inconvenient. <laughs> and um, here are the thoughts that when I did this, for my neighbour. Here are the thoughts that went through my head. Bit of a humbling moment for me. Don't judge me too much. Here's what went through my head. Wow, I'm so kind and generous for doing this for him. I wonder if he's going to return the favour. I wonder if he'll thank me the next time I see him. I hope he does thank me. That would be nice. It would be kind of rude if he didn't. <laughs> but that's what went, what went through my head generally. And I knew, like, I tried to do this with getting no recognition. And this is what went through my head. This revealed some heart things about myself. And so I was like, oh, my gosh. Okay. Wow. All right. Every step of the way, it'd be like, no, that's not what I'm doing at Steph. Don't think about, you know, getting thanked. That's not the point. I don't want to be thanked. But Jesus is calling us, is telling us to live in the kingdom and love each other to the fullest extent, to lo let love be our driving force and change the way we live and change the way we act and even change the way we think. It's, it's a love that is not from afar, but it humbles itself and gets into the dirt and mess and selflessly cares for another person without asking anything in return. This is how we live in the kingdom with a love that fuels our action to get into the dirt with others. Let love be your driving force. My second encouragement to you is serve with no terms and conditions. This one is hard. <laughs> it's hard for me. So when Jesus did this, when Jesus washed the disciples' feet, he knew that very soon Judas was going to betray him and effectively take him to the cross, and yet he washed his feet. He knew that Peter, one of his closest friends, was going to pretend like he didn't even know him, and yet he washed his feet. He knew that all of his friends in that room were going to desert him in his greatest hour of need. And yet he washed all of their feet. What did he do? Instead of rejecting them like he could have done, he extended grace. He served them with no terms and conditions. Imagine if, if I was uh, the story of my neighbor, right? Imagine before, if I, if before I did that, if I went up to him and said, hey, man, look, I'm going to bring in your bins because I'm really kind. Um, but would you agree to bring in my bins sometimes? What if I said, would you agree to come to church with me first and then I'll do it for you? Would you agree? Would you tell me whether you deserve to have me bring in your bins. No, I didn't do that because you can't put terms and conditions 
on the love and the service that you have for people. You can't, you know, give them a list of, you know, these things that they have to sign and agree to in order for you to wash their feet. Because the kingdom of God is not like that. When you're in the kingdom of God, you don't get to put terms and conditions on people. You don't get to put them on how you serve them and how you love them. The truth is that they don't deserve it, and neither do you, neither do we. But that's grace. That's what Jesus did. That's extending grace to people. Everyone just close your eyes for a quick second. Imagine in your head the, a picture of the person who has hurt you the most. Maybe someone who's betrayed you. Maybe a family member, a friend. Someone who has willingly hurt you. Picture their face in your mind. Should Jesus wash their feet? Would you wash their feet? You can open your eyes again. Would you wash the feet of people who have betrayed you? Because that's what Jesus did. And this is a hard thing. It's hard to look someone in the face that has, has hurt you and go, you know what, I'm going to serve you, I'm going to love you, I'm going to extend grace, even though you didn't do that for me, I'm going to do that for you. And you might say, well, they don't deserve it. You're right. That's grace. And in, uh, when I was preparing for this message, um, I found this artist in Australia and she did this series called a foot washing series. I was like, this is perfect. And so she did some, some drawings. And I just want to show you a few of them and we're just going to flick through. And I just want to let your heart have a look at these and think about, you know, they represent some groups of people, maybe someone that you know, maybe not, maybe a group of people that you don't necessarily agree with. But have a think about these images and what they do to your heart. So let's have a look at these. We serve others with no terms and conditions, and we love to the fullest extent. This is what we are called to do when we live in the kingdom of God, when we live in the kingdom culture. I don't know what, uh, who came to mind for you in, in that moment or how those images might have affected you, but this is true. There is grace, and Jesus extended grace to you so that we can extend grace to others who need it. And it doesn't mean that it's easy, and we definitely don't do it by ourselves. It's not in our own strength. It's only by the grace of God. It's only by His Spirit. It's only through His strength that we can do this. Here's my final encouragements to you.
Would you let love be your driving force in everything that you do? And extend grace to people for when you serve them, putting no terms and conditions on how, on, on who you serve. And here's some final uh, challenging questions I want to leave you with. What can you do? How can you follow the example of Jesus and wash someone's feet this week? And when you serve others, do they feel loved? Do they feel served? Do they feel God's grace? And would you reach out to God? And if there's, if there's some challenging things, if you're like, my heart's not right, would you talk to God about it? And let Him help you. Let Him, let His love in. Let His grace in. I'm just going to pray quickly. Everyone bow your heads. Thank You, Lord. Thank You, Jesus, that You have given us this great example. Help us to follow it, Lord. Help us to love others as You love them. Love them to the limit and serve others extending grace, Lord Jesus. We cannot do it without You, Father. And I pray, Holy Spirit, for those people that we find it hard to love and hard to serve, Lord, that You'll help us do that. You'll help us serve them. Thank You, Holy Spirit, for what You're doing in our hearts, that You lead us and guide us and You help us live in this new kingdom that You have brought us into. In Your Name, Amen. Thank you for listening. You can find out more about City Lights Church at www.citylights.community.